0: Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, there healthcare humans thank you so much for coming back for another episode of the other human in the room okay so today i want to talk about performance anxiety it's something that i never used to really think about being like a part of my daily experience in healthcare necessarily but now i see it everywhere um i first sort of started thinking about performance anxiety which you know most of us think about it more in the context of like, oh, I have to give a speech and I have anxiety. Like, you know, I'm an actor and I have performance anxiety, right? So you think like, what does that have to do with healthcare? We're not performing in some public way in front of other people unless we're like giving a speech. And even then, like I know a lot of people in healthcare is like, oh my gosh, I don't like giving grand rounds or I don't like giving a lecture. I don't like doing that because I have performance anxiety. So there's like that context. But The place that it really clicked for me was, um, I've had a couple of opportunities to coach residents, um, like, and um, specifically residents who are having trouble with, well, the way it's framed to me is that they're having trouble with their communication skills. Um, I'm not going to give any details here because, you know, their lives are private, but just like in terms of general themes, what I've noticed is that these residents, um, they're being described as having like, communication issues, or even like knowledge gaps, like inability to display their knowledge. And I'll like hear the story about how they're struggling to, you know, communicate with patients, um, how they're struggling to communicate like in handover or when they're supposed to present cases. And the entire time I'm thinking in the back of my mind, has anyone kind of double checked if they may have some performance anxiety? And um, when I meet with them, honestly, I find that is the the key factor in unlocking the whole thing and making it much more likely that they will be able to communicate smoothly and that they actually have a ton of knowledge. It's more that they're afraid of um, displaying it, afraid of displaying it in a wrong way, afraid of saying the wrong thing. And why are they afraid? Why are they so afraid and nervous when they are speaking to patients or speaking to their preceptors or to other colleagues? it's because they're afraid of what the other people will think about them. Um, In particular, like um, settings where um, learners are being like observed by their preceptor, either like through a video camera or like in the room. It's just, it's very interesting to me that it's not the number one on the differential of those that are framing the cases to me. Not that it's good or bad, but like to me, it just seems like the obvious, layer that's making it hard for that person to communicate, you know, because like I'll communicate the, like once I had a resident and they, you know, they said that they had such terrible communication issues with, with uh, patients and things, um, so having trouble getting words out. They actually like had them assessed by like speech language pathology in case like it was actually like a stutter or something. And then I show up to the call with the person and they speak to me extremely smoothly and clearly. And so it's just one of these things where it's like, um, performance anxieties here, people. It's it's to me, uh, perhaps just because of how I think, and also because I recall experiencing it in significant measure when I was a learner. Maybe that's just it, right? Like I remember how much of my inner life, when I was going through medical school and residency, like the main thing I was um, really experiencing was performance anxiety. And I knew that because the main thing I was thinking in my head is, what does this preceptor think of me? How, you know, when I'm in a room with a patient, I'm like 25% trying to figure out what's happening with the patient and connect with the patient because that's sort of what my job is in the room. And then I'm 75% thinking, what is it that my preceptor will want me to ask? What will my preceptor think if I do or do not know the answer? What will my preceptor think about how I'm handling this? And so much of my brain was actually um, dedicated to ensuring that my preceptors liked me, and that's not just because like I'm an ego thing, but really it's because I wanted to make sure I'd get the good evals, and so that I would like you know get the good reference letters. Like there's something that happens that we might just want to look at just in general in education and especially in medical education of like how much do we want our learners to learn versus how much do we want our learners to perform for us so that they will get the gold stars, so that they will get into the profession they want. It's kind of an issue in my opinion. And so working with these like amazing learners who had like tons of knowledge and had their own communication styles that were like fabulous like first we'd address the performance anxiety and then we would start talking about like, Oh, have you tried this phrase or have you tried this question? We'd actually like kind of do a couple scripts or something that would help kind of enhance their their natural communication style in a way that may connect with patients differently. But if we like try to skip over the performance anxiety step and instead just was like, here's some things you can say, it doesn't work. Now they're trying to memorize a script to please me, to please the preceptor. It just doesn't work. Right? So that's where, It just sort of opened my mind to the fact that performance anxiety i think is sort of everywhere in healthcare now that i look for it right so in learners for sure and just like like i just said so many things that perhaps we need to address about how we frame um you know preceptor learner relationships or whatever to kind of mitigate that you know um but beyond that even for those of us who have completed our training Sometimes what people call imposter syndrome when we kind of look under the surface, another way to describe it could be performance anxiety, and I know that for me as well. So constantly worrying what other people think of me was just like one of the main things my brain was doing all the time, how I practice medicine, you know, especially if it was someone I, I viewed as sort of a, a mentor or someone senior to me, so someone's in practice more. Um, so say some examples of performance anxiety I've experienced, well, so say I'm looking after a patient of one of my colleagues and especially colleagues who I have witnessed um have stronger opinions about how care should be done. I'm now having performance anxiety in that room thinking what does this person what's this person going to think of me? So now it's not just me and the patient and like what I think is clinically correct. I have this third sort of voice in the room, which is what will that person think of my care and I'm worried about performing well for them. It's like they're in the room with me, it's like I have an audience. It can really feel like that kind of physiologically in my body, like I get more anxious, it's harder for me to think, I'm more focused on what, you know, Dr. Smith, my judgmental colleague will think of me than what the patient will think of me, which that's fine, but also what I think of the situation, that just shrinks down, you know? Um, another one is, If my patients who are clinicians. And I know some of them listen to this podcast. And um, I will say that probably the ones that listen to this podcast, I honestly have it way less. And especially over time, I have learned how to like manage and befriend my performance anxiety. And um, that's what I'm planning to do on this podcast, by the way, is kind of give you some really like concrete solutions of how to like ease and work with your performance anxiety. But even especially probably those that are not listening to my podcast. I actually have like a good number of like physicians and other clinicians who happen to be my patients and especially ones that I view as, um, you know, outside of the clinic room, somewhat senior to me, or they are, you know, they just like are more judgmental, you could say, or verbally to other people, or I just perceive in some way to be senior to me or someone who, therefore, I like need them to have a good opinion of me. Oh, and especially at first, like when I like, you know, first year out from graduation, and then I would have like a, a, like when I was locuming, and then say the patient was like someone who was like a retired doctor, such a classic. And it's like, so they've been through their whole career, and now they're trying to ask me to take care of them. So many extra thoughts, just feeling like I was, I was in an OSCE, like I'd feel like I was like having a test done to me, basically, like I have to make sure I perform well, like it suddenly would light up, Right. Um, other times I see this happen, um, certainly those in healthcare that actually have like in our current healthcare setup, like sort of the hierarchy, like they have someone who's superior to them. So like, you know, nurses who have like uh, managers or the physician's gonna like judge what they think. I work with a lot of nurse practitioners, including like, like, not only that I've hired some, but I've worked coaching in coaching with nurse practitioners. And like a lot of them have these extra thoughts of like, what will the physician who's also involved in this patient's care think of me? Right. So like um, that kind of performance anxiety, like you have to like put on a special face. You have to put on a special set of skills as if your natural skills aren't good enough. You have to perform something extra in order to like please the person, you know? It can come through in charting. Like sometimes I would chart knowing that someone else would read it and that changes how I chart, you know? Um, a common, another common one is like, say I have to do like a phone consult with a specialist or like even an e-consult with a specialist. I know for many people that I've worked with at this point, they actually really, um uh, procrastinate. So they delay um, doing those because they they want to make sure they look really good so that the specialist doesn't think that they don't know what they're talking about. Like there's a, And that is a kind of performance anxiety. Do you see how it is? It's like, I need to perform well to receive the approval of the other person. And certainly with patients themselves, like I've had a few clients where it's like they had an upcoming patient appointment where something was going to be hard or heavy in it. Like, Maybe the the patient had just gone through something really tragic, and then as the clinician, they don't know what to say. They're worried about saying the wrong thing. Or maybe a mistake has been made, you know, that you've discovered you've made an error and now you have to go speak to the person, and you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. Like, it's so natural to have anxiety about your performance in these situations. And so then your brain offers you thoughts like, I don't know what to say, as if there is a thing to say all of that I'm kind of putting under the umbrella of performance anxiety, you know? Um, and so, I wanna offer you the inhuman story here, just sort of on a global level, when you like think of all of these examples and all the ways that we're like, oh, I have to make sure I'm extra something, I have to make sure I perform in this way, I have to make sure I, I say it just right or say it super calm, it's not okay for me to be nervous in that room. The irony being, of course, we are super nervous and so then it like really amplifies it, right? All of that is the inhuman story. The inhuman story is that we have to perform anything, right? And the flip side, the healing human story is that if we approach all of these situations as our authentic self and sort of center like what our authentic intentions and motivations are to be in that conversation with that person and that's what we anchor ourselves in, those are enough and those are actually really good and really rich, you know, and um It makes sense that we have performance anxiety, so it's not about judging it or thinking it's a problem. In fact, that's almost the other underlying in human stories that it's bad to have performance anxiety. It's not bad to have performance anxiety, it's human to have performance anxiety, right? And so we can like allow it to be there, but also can work to lower its volume over time with some of the strategies I wanna tell you, okay? But the underlying message is, like, it's so fascinating to me now to look through this lens of, like, all the times I feel tongue-tied in a conversation, all the times I feel like I'm, like, over-explaining or frozen and under-explaining, all the times I feel anxious about communicating with another human, like, viewing, it's like, is there some performance anxiety here? Like, I need to perform for this other person. And why? Why? What is it that I'm afraid they're going to judge me for? Why do I feel like I need their approval and not in like a what's wrong with me way, but like really getting curious, like what does my brain have a story about? Why do I have a story? I need this person's approval to feel safe. Let's get curious about that. And is that something I want to keep, you know? So that's how I want to like frame performance anxiety. And then now I want to talk about the ways that I address it. Um, So I'd say there's sort of three strategies and that that are really helpful and pr- in a practical way to help ease your performance anxiety so say now you're reflecting on all my examples being like oh yeah I think I have a ton of performance anxiety in lots of situations <laughs> you're fine you're human and in fact that's step one the first step in easing your performance anxiety is totally allowing it to be there and not judging it right? Like this is what happens, especially for people, you know, say they have a real stage fright thing or like, uh, I put that in air quotes, like, or in air quotes, like, you know, fear of public speaking, right? Part of it is all the things that they are afraid that they will be judged for. But the thing that usually makes performance anxiety in like fear of public speaking so acute is because, we have this idea that we can't be anxious and still do something <laughs> so when we get up on the stage and we are of course sweaty and of, and are of course heart racing cuz like a bunch of eyeballs are looking at us we think that's like a problem a barrier it means we're broken means we like means that we're going to die right so the first strategy to addressing performance anxiety is letting it be there and not judging it So like literally saying to myself, so say I get into a room and I'm noticing like, oh, I'm feeling more anxious. I'm feeling more, I'm really noticing myself being drawn, my brain being drawn to what do they think of me? Am I saying the right thing? Um, You know, like all of that stuff. And then if my brain's like, oh my gosh, like my face is flushing. Now it's really going south. I really practice sort of neutralizing all of those thoughts being like, there's blood in my face there's sweat on my palms, my heart is beating at a different rhythm. Of course it is. This is something that I care about. This is a situation I'm heightened in. This is a situation maybe I've never experienced before, or I know this person can be judgmental. So it's sort of like of coursing myself, which is like a sort of self-compassionate way of just like allowing the anxiety to be there and not being afraid or resisting it, which will only make it louder, right? So let's do this sweaty, let's do this flush, let's do this all... Stumbly and stuttery, and let's do it. And knowing that the reason that I'm stumbly and stuttery and sweaty is because my body is taking care of me. My body's trying to protect me. At some point in the past, I've I've got a threat story about get receiving judgment of others. I'm a social animal, so I want to be in belonging with people this person reminds me of my really judgmental preceptor that was mean to me like whatever like level of depth of understanding you even understand about why it's there it's useful to understand why it's there but even if you don't you can be like whoa i am really feeling like i'm like you know in the spotlight with this one i'm not even sure why it's happening but i don't have to judge that it's happening so just letting the anxiety be there and doing it anyway that goes so far to mitigating it. So like say someone did have a fear of public speaking, doing a bunch of public speaking, totally flop sweaty, stumbling over the other word, but like being with our body and like allowing that experience to happen and naming it for ourselves and like really embracing that it's there and almost like thanking our body for protecting us for by like, having these strong signals, over time, the interesting thing is the more you allow your emotions, the less loud they have to be. It's this beautiful paradox that is true about all feelings. And that definitely applies here. So say with my learners who are, who've been told they have communication issues, but really have performance anxiety, they're like, yeah, but like, I just get my my brain goes blank. And it's like, making sense. How can we actually just like, talk to our bodies and talk to our brains and say like, thank you for trying to protect me. Wow, you're really viewing this situation with this patient as a threat. You're really noticing that your preceptor is watching and you're really worrying about it. That makes sense in the situation. Of course you're feeling this way. How can we move forward with an understanding that this anxiety is not a problem and we still can say some words out loud to this person even while feeling the sensations of anxiety? So that's like the first really powerful strategy for performance anxiety. And it works whether you're on a stage or in a room with another person. And it works for many emotions as well, right? It's really just processing those emotions, feeling those feelings. And if you do nothing else, you're going to notice you get way farther if you're just like, I can just do it wobbly. I can just do it stuttery. I can just do it, you know, half blacked out. Look, I can still do it. Like that's still, that's going to just uh, get you a lot farther and not making it kind of like a thing in your brain, you know? But there's two other strategies that I also want to share because they can kind of build on it and actually change the underlying story that's present with performance anxiety, which is really like someone else's judgment of me is a threat to my safety. That's kind of what's happening underneath. So if I'm in a room with a, if you know, I'm a first year locum in a room with a retired doctor, I think that their opinion of me will, you know, potentially threaten my position in medicine. I don't really think that consciously, if I thought it consciously, I'm like, well, that, how does that make sense? Like even if they don't have a good opinion of me, is it likely that will, that will actually literally lead to my license removal? No, but sort of under the surface, that's like, I need them to approve of me, otherwise I've been discovered as being a bad doctor, right? And so that gives you the clue of what the second strategy is. Whatever it is that you're worried the other people are thinking about you is something that you're already thinking about yourself. So just sort of noticing that that is always what's happening. So if you're on a stage and you're worried, like asking yourself to get specific, okay, I'm getting up on the stage, what is it that I'm worried that people will think of me? And like make a list. And it'll be like, that I don't know enough, that I'm not smooth enough, that I'm not confident enough. But if you ask someone else, their reasons will be like, they think I'm ugly, or like, they'll have a different list. And the reason that we have different lists for what we think other people are worried about, or sorry, that other people are judging us for, is because we have different things that we think about ourselves, the criticisms we have about ourselves. Anytime we're worried someone else is judging us, We only worry that they're judging us for the things that we already think about ourselves, okay? So I kind of use this as an example. So like, say someone came to me and they're like, Dr. Chan, don't you know that the earth is flat? And I'm like, I don't know that. I don't believe that. I don't think the science shows that. And they're like, wow. You're so stupid. What a bad doctor you are. Like, whatever. They could say a bunch of, like, judgmental things about the fact that I don't think the earth is flat. And I'll be like, this person, I'm kind of pitying them. Honey, like, you think the earth is flat. But, like, I'm not going to take that personally because I really, really, really... Don't have any negative self-concept over my belief that the earth is round. I really think I'm right. I might not be, by the way. Who knows? But like, as far as I'm aware, I feel very confident about that part of me. I I feel confident about that knowledge. I feel confident about my abilities to assess the evidence and know that that is true. So I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be worried about performing or defending it. I'm going to just be like, oh, honey, like, we just have different opinions here, clearly, you know? But if someone thinks I'm a bad doctor because I didn't know the name of a medication or I didn't have an answer to their question, or you know, I'm worried they're gonna judge the clinical choice I make, the ones I'm worried about are the ones that I have less confidence in. I don't fully believe in the choices I'm making. I don't believe it's okay to not know the answer. I don't believe it's okay if I forget the name of the medication. So if we kind of reverse engineer it, the more I build belief in myself, the less I will care what other people think of me, right? So the, the more I have, for example, like a real example from my life that is not just medicine, but Oliver, like the more I have built like, a loving relationship with myself as a human body, including how this human body looks and feels and the shape it holds, the less I've been worried about what other people think of what I look like. I've been less worried or self-conscious about my appearance, the more I have grown in my confidence in my own appearance. And that's been really cool to watch in that that's something we can do with medicine too. And absolutely has been true for me. The more I have built self-trust about my clinical decision-making, not thinking it's the ultimate right answer and everyone should decide things the way that I do. In fact, it's the opposite being like, there are many right answers and I really like the one I'm choosing and I have good reasons for me to like the one I'm choosing. So even if someone disagrees, I can like understand their disagreement, but I don't have to judge my choice. And I'm not like at 100%, like I still feel a bit shaky sometimes, and just I'm a human and having all that performance anxiety, it still pops up inside of me. But I'm no longer as afraid, truly, about what patients think of my knowledge level, my clinical decision making, how I speak, any of that stuff, because I have so much more comfort and confidence just in myself as a person. Very fun to feel. So the way this works practically with people I work with. so like with learners, one thing I've kind of done, and actually not just with learners, but also full clinicians is like building their MRP self-concept, like most most responsible physician if they happen to be a physician, but like just like building their own confident clinician self-concept and doing this over time. So like a practical thing we do is like maybe make a list or have them list out loud all the things they do know about a situation cuz often with like performance anxiety they're so worried about someone judging the things they don't know and they're so fixated on all the things they don't know they totally lose sight of the things they do know and what they do know is usually like enough to make a solid choice and also then what we they don't know if they if they're centered on what they do know about a certain situation then they can feel good about whatever choices they make, including if some of the choices are to like research or like ask a question if they don't know something, right? But it's like centered around what they actually do know already, including the experience they've had it already. And like actually inviting their brain to put those first and to re-remember that those are there. That's how then you can build the sense of confidence and value what you do know, what you do have skill in, what you do have experience in, instead of worrying about all the things that you don't know or don't have experience in and worrying that people will judge you for those, right? So some sort of practical stories you can tell yourself that can help you build this sort of Um, increased sense of like self trust or confidence in yourself, which therefore reduces your worry about what other people think of you and therefore reduces your performance anxiety. So like phrases like the what if phrases or the it's possible that phrases, right? So like, what if what I know is enough here? It's possible I have what I need to make this decision. One that I really love is there's nothing here I can't handle. That one is like, it just came to me suddenly like a lightning bolt in a room. I was sitting with a patient and they were having a lot of emotions. And usually I'd be really spinning about, you know, I don't know what to do with this person. How do I get out of this room? But I realized suddenly like, there's nothing here I can't handle. What's happening in this room is they're having some thoughts and feelings. I'm having some thoughts and feelings. We're just going to like figure out what the next step is. Like It just like really brought it down, really made it less anxiety provoking. And in doing so, in building that trust with myself, I have noticed how much less I care what other people think of me. It's very much not a zero. It will never be a zero because we're also like social creatures. So we're always meant to, in some ways, like check in with each other's brains to see if we're we're matching in some way. You know, like that's just like normal, natural. But like the level of obsession that I used to have about you know, after I say gave a talk or after I talked to a clinician that I perceived as more often judgmental mental, or um, a patient that was sort of a challenging, asked me lots of questions. I used to feel so shaky in my belief in myself. But now I've realized if I work on my belief in myself at, at the jump, I actually have way less of that worry and anxiety in the room and afterwards as well. It's kind of magic to watch. So just to reiterate, number one, The one number one strategy is knowing that there's nothing wrong with you because you have performance anxiety. It means you're a human, by the way, a human that's been socialized to like distrust yourself as well and and to instead defer to authority. So make sense that it's there. You can learn how to feel those feelings all the way through, and that will make it less intense, the performance anxiety less intense in the room. The second strategy is recognizing that the whole reason that you're so anxious about what other people think of you and therefore feel the need to perform something specific so that they like you is because of the things you don't like or don't believe about yourself. And so sort of gradually building up your like of yourself, your belief in yourself, that will ease the performance anxiety in a major way. And then the third strategy, which goes hand in hand with the other two, is instead of focusing on what people think of you, and also instead of focusing on yourself and your anxiety, giving your brain something else to focus on. And the thing you can always give your brain to focus on is like the reason you're doing that task anyway. So using the example of giving a speech, right? So When we have, like, tons of performance anxiety, our brain is flip-flopping between how terrible we feel and how that definitely means we're going to fail and what everyone else thinks of us. And we're just flip-flopping between those two things. Meanwhile, why are we giving a speech to begin with? What is our, like, core motivation that's getting us up there to tell people about things? Sometimes we've, like, forgotten there's even a reason that we're doing it. But when we center in on that, like right now, I'm giving you this podcast. I could be feeling anxious about what people think of the podcast and therefore flip-flopping between, oh no, I feel too anxious, my voice is going to quaver, and what are people thinking of me? Are they all thinking I'm dumb and stupid, da-da-da? But instead, if I'm focusing on my why, what is your why for the thing you're doing? So for me, doing this podcast right now in its imperfect, confusing, floppy way, like whatever it is I think might be going on under the surface, my reason for delivering this podcast is twofold. One, I love sharing what I've learned in hopes it helps someone else. The process of sharing it is so, it feels good in my body. Like me recording this podcast right now is a pleasurable experience. It feels so good to synthesize knowledge and like try and find ways to share it with other people that spark something in them. I've discovered just the joy of the creation in and of itself is part of my why. And then the second part of my why is, I do believe this is how I contribute to making healthcare better. As grandiose as that sounds like every one of you who's listening who gets a feels a little bit better in each of their day if i if, if there's like one person that's listening that's going to take this notion of performance anxiety and notice how it's apparent in their life and use some of the strategies i've just described and ease their performance anxiety like i actually feel a little emotional thinking about how that could be true and that is part of my why if you want to get meta for what would ease any performance anxiety I feel about doing this podcast, right? So uh, going back to the learner example. So with these learners who are feeling so anxious and so afraid of what their preceptors think of them, who are watching them, that they can't even focus on the patient, we really ground and, okay, pretend no one's watching. Why are you in that room with that person? What's your essential, motivating, driving, reason why you're there? you're there to listen to them, you're there to figure out what could be going on, you're there to practice your skills so that you can move on and become a full-fledged physician. Like the why will always be a little different depending on the person, but we're looking for the reason that kind of lights them up, that feels good to feel as a motivation, you know? So I, one I've shared before, for me with my patients, you know, I used to feel like I was always performing for my patients, getting them to like me, getting them to be happy with me. And so then when I like put that aside, it's like, what am I doing with my patients? I'm not trying to figure out or fix them anymore. And I'm not trying to get them all to like me. Like, what am I even doing here? And my favorite phrase, as I've shared before, is I am there to understand and connect with them. So when I go into that room, instead of worrying what I'm saying or what I look like or if I'm flushed or not, I'm just like asking curious questions to understand them better and through that process of understanding, offering them connection and that feels so good every time and often leads to some pretty good medical care in my opinion, at least like tailor-made management plans that they'll actually follow co-creation of healthcare, like things i really believe in and i and that's what i center as my why even if a patient's like why are you asking me these questions you're really weird what a weird doctor i know i would feel a bit of the shiver of performance anxiety if they said that but when i'm grounded in my why i'd be like I would then lean in and understand, like, tell me more about why you think that's weird. I like keep doing my why of understanding and connecting, even though um, they actually don't, you know, even though they're offering me judgment, I'm so grounded in my why that I can just move forward. So that's basically what I wanted to share today. So as a reflection back to you, my dear healthcare human, where do you notice performance anxiety is coming up? in your work in healthcare? Where do you notice, oh man, yeah, it's interesting to think of how sweaty I get in that room with that patient really is because I feel like I have to perform for them in order for them to like me and in order for them to respect me. So I'm trying to like put on a face and I'm trying to like perform in some way so that I can mitigate any judgment or anger or whatever it is that I'm afraid that they will offer back to me. And then how can you use the strategies that i've just shared with you to mitigate that. So number 1, totally normalizing and giving yourself tons of self-compassion that it's there. It means you're a human being with a human body who by the way has been super socialized to like care what other people think of you and you've been told your whole life you better perform so that other people will will like you. You better try and fit in and like ignore your authentic self. So like there's very very good reasons why you feel this, and the actual sensations of feeling all of that sweaty anxiety, not a problem, just a human being with a human body feeling some physiological changes, right? So like that's number one. Number two is noticing and sort of after the fact, reflecting on the things that you worried they judged you for, the the things that you're worried that your audience, whether it's one person or many, what is it that you're afraid they're thinking of you, write them down and notice that you definitely already think them about yourself and how can you gradually and lovingly build more belief in yourself and love for yourself so that no matter what their thoughts they may have in their head you feel less anxious because you know it's not your belief in yourself and number three um how can you focus in on your why how can you focus in on the reason you're there with that audience of one or many the reason that you're there saying anything at all and focusing in on that as your driving force, even when the words all get fumbled, even when they're looking at you like you're really weird, what is your why for having that conversation or that, you know, TED talk, like whatever it is that you're doing. Those are the three strategies that I found to be so helpful, so powerful in combination. This is the work that I do with my coaching clients all the time, as I've said multiple times. And um, by the way, if this is something you'd ever like to work with me one-on-one, you're invited to do so. Um, right now when I'm recording this, it's spring of 2023 and my I have Um, closed applications for like a longer form one-on-one process, but feel free to still apply and get on the wait list for the fall. And I'd love to work with you at a time that works for both of us, because I think this sort of set of skills of like mitigating, addressing, and easing your performance anxiety, it's another way of saying the same thing I've been saying about practicing authentic medicine. The performance anxiety, you could say, is what can get in the way of you being able to just show up authentically without worrying what people think of you, right? And I think that just makes job, your job in medicine way easier. You'll suddenly have way more time, more mental energy. You'll notice tasks are way easier to complete when you're only completing them for yourself instead of for a bunch of other people, you know? And I want that for you. All right, take care and feel those feelings, my friends, bye. I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work and healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others, please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today.